0: got uh, folks serving a course around here in any number of ways now again i don't know if you guys remember where we were roughly a year ago but it's very good to be where we are and we started gathering outside the end of may last year and it was so cool to uh to to be together next sunday Next Sunday, we are going to be meeting here at 9 o'clock outside. There are a number of folks, including me, that love outside. Quite frankly, I was like, why didn't we think of this years ago? I don't know if you guys know us, but we live in Southern California. I mean, being outside, this is terrific. But we are going to meet here at 9 o'clock, and then we are going to have the identical service back in the worship center at 11 o'clock. So, going forward, we're going to have three venues, and uh, we're hoping that people will make use of those. You'll invite your neighbors. You'll invite your friends. I mean, this last year, are we in any worse place than we were before? I'll tell you, I don't think so, but it does feel like to me the challenges that everybody's faced has made many people more aware. (laughs) of how lonely they are looking for connections. And uh, I think an opportunity for the church in so many ways with what's going on in the culture, to be beacons of life and uh, relationship uh, connectors and helping people ultimately connect with God. So three venues for those of you at home, that will continue at nine o'clock. We'll live stream, and of course, you'll still be able to ac- access that uh, on our website. So that is all good. So here's the cool part. Uh, We are recipients of God's love. Those of us who have come to treasure Christ, to see how much God has loved us in sending his son into the world to die and rise from the dead who have come to faith in him. Paul says in Ephesians, he has lavished his love on us. Now I think the spiritual journey once we come to faith and we've gotten kind of that initial experience of his love I think the rest of lo- uh, our life is growing in how deep how wide how high oh how oh, the love of God that's what the journey of faith is about Now here's the cool part those of us who are recipients Of God's love. Oh, and there is nothing better. God chooses to use us as vessels, as channels, as instruments of His grace and of His love in the lives of other people. So God's love comes into us and then goes out of us. Now, in the text that that we began last week, chapter 5 of 1 Corinthians, and, and Jordan did a great job showing us how the love of God is to be coming out of us in every relationship, wherever we are, in every context. But what Paul's been trying to show us is that love might be expressed differently depending on where the people we're interacting with are on their spiritual journey. The love of God filling us and flowing out of us always. But we might express that differently depending again upon where the people with whom we're interacting are on their spiritual journey. Picking up the same theme that that Jordan dealt with last week at the beginning of chapter 5, Kind of concluding that primary thought this week in verse 9. Paul continues. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. Not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world or the greedy or swindlers or idolaters. Since then you would need to go out of the world. But now I'm writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard, or swindler. Not even to eat with such a one. What have I, what have I to do with judging outsiders? It is not those inside the church whom you are to judge. God judges those outside the church. Purge the evil person from among you. Father, we are grateful that you love us. And we're grateful that we have experienced this love. And our great hope and ever-increasing passion is that we would be vessels increasingly pouring out your love to others. Our ability to do that is always dependent upon our receiving it from you. My prayer now is that as you pull, help us pull apart this text, Father, I praise you use me as this cracked weak vessel, but that we would see your mind and heart. And in every interaction with everyone, we pray that your love would genuinely flow out of us. But sometimes, Father, it's challenging. It's difficult. It's hard to know exactly how your love ought to be expressed. We're dealing with folks broken and hurting, all of us, so weak without you. So I pray that you would give us wisdom. Help us to understand what you intend by these words. But then make us wise. And may we love others in your love. May it flow out of us, Father. That's our prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. So what I'm going to do this morning is divide the message into three basic people groups, and I think the difference is the, how, we, how we interact. Now it's the second people group that we're going to deal with that is actually the focus of this text, the second one. But I want to talk about all three uh, uh, this morning. So how do we express Jesus' love? And here's the first people group, and I think we can move through this fairly quickly to Christ's treasures who are on the ongoing spiritual transformation road with us. They treasure Christ, they love Christ, and they're living like they treasure Christ. Nobody's perfect, everybody's still got weaknesses, they got challenges, but they're wrestling with the sin in their life and they're trying to move forward. And there's no glaring sin in their life, at least that we know about. How do we interact with them? We're to associate. We're to share our lives. God's design for us is that the way we grow in his love is by hanging out with other people who have experienced his love. Now I've shared with you, Part of our vision here is to help people become first-handers, increasingly have confidence in reading the Bible for ourselves and being fed that way. I actually think I'm fairly decent at it. But I'm going to tell you, after walking with Christ now nearly 40 years I still can't tell you how much it means to hang with other believers and the spiritual growth and encouragement that happens in my life because I get to hang with other people who are on the journey. Now, you may have chosen to treasure Christ yesterday. Here's my conviction. you got something to encourage the rest of us with. You may have come to treasure Christ 60 years ago. You've got something to share with the rest of us from 60 years of journey. If you met Christ yesterday, I think there are probably things you can learn from somebody else. If you came to treasure Christ 60 years ago, here's my conviction. You got things you can learn from somebody else. Once you die and you go to the immediate presence of Jesus or until Jesus returns... Until then, we're on this road of growing, and the way God has designed that is by us sharing our lives with one another. Now, I've asked you lots of times before, if you've not been hurt or offended by somebody in the church, not been, would you raise your hand? Never been hurt by somebody in the church. So let's just acknowledge on the get-go, this doesn't work perfectly, do you think I've been hurt by folks in the church? I'm not going to answer that question. Other churches, but of course not here. We are imperfect people, but here's God's design that we grow in that. So we're going to associate folks with folks, and then we're going to assess. Now, I think we're doing this consciously, subconsciously, all the time, but we're trying to figure out where we are, and we're trying to figure out where they are. So we can meet them where they are and help them grow. I'm trying to figure out where I am so I can be with people who might be able to help me where I need to grow. This is a good thing, this assessment. And then we were here to encourage folks. The encouragement for me that comes from hanging with people who genuinely want to grow in their faith in Christ, I cannot tell you what that means. I had lunch this week with uh, Sharia Bissonnette our worship leader, and uh, a a man called uh, Chris Davis. Hey, nice to see you, Chris. Now, the reason I invited these guys to lunch, because these are the people that I know who have the most messed up childhood of anybody I have known. Now, I've gotten to know lots of you, and I know a lot of you have had challenging childhoods. And I think to some degree, most of us bear some hurt, I had a great childhood, but it's not without some hurt. These folks, the parents that were supposed to love them and ultimately be instruments of God's grace, and I, I wanted to put them together because part of my hypothesis was they just don't talk to people that have had that messed up a childhoods very often. It got to be hard to connect with guys like me that had it for old people. I will leave it to Beaver upbringing. I mean, they start talking about stuff and and they start telling these stories. And again, it's just so far from my mind what as children they had to grow up with. Sharia talks about the number of times she could have died at the parents at the hands of her parents. I can't even imagine the toll that takes on somebody, what it's like to grow up in home. They both suggested they always slept as little kids with one eye open because they were never sure what was going to happen. Chris shared how as a young teenager, again, his life had been miserable up to then, but his mom had a gun and she was drunk and she went into the bathroom and he went to check on her. So he was smart enough to do this, knock on the door and not stand in the way of the door. Knocked on the door, told her, hey, Mom, I want to check on you. You were smart enough to stand over here. Three bullets went through the door chest high. Now here's what I love. Two individuals with a deep, passionate love for Christ and this ability to love others because they've been filled by God's love. You sit in a conversation, I'm listening to them, and again, you understand it breaks my heart, but I don't even really know how to connect with this. This is so far from my childhood. Let me tell you, the things my folks did that I didn't love— Never mind. (laughs) 62, been walking with Christ 40 years, and I come out of there going, the power of Jesus is real. I know it from the word. I've read it. I've heard it. But I see this demonstrated in people's lives, and I get a little more passionate about Jesus, which, again, might frighten some of you. Sometimes we're here to challenge one another. We're getting here to get to know one another. We do that in all kinds of ways around here, life groups. We could call, call them Bible studies, small group Bible studies. We can call them uh, growth groups. We can call them lots of things. We call them life groups around here because it, the intent of these is that we share life with one another. I love being in worship services, but I don't actually get to know much of what's going on in your life. We need these connections where we can open up and share our life with one another. I mean, God has designed this church to be the promotion of his glory. Ha! Jesus said, this is how the folks out there are gonna know you're my disciples, because of your love for one another. But we're ultimately here to support one another. You probably have figured this out. I know a lot of you personally I still have not met, yet met anybody that doesn't have some sort of struggle or challenge in their life. Pretty much constantly. and We get through one, and then there's another one. This is because God's trying to draw us to himself. It's God giving us opportunities to support and to encourage one another. Now, you've heard the old adage, and Lord, may it never be true of RCC that sometimes the church is the only group they knew that shoots their own wounded. That's not who we want to be. We're here to support To build one another up. Paul talks about it and he deals with this idea in Ephesians 4. He's not dealing this within here in 1 Corinthians. When we get to chapter 12, he's going to talk about every one of us has a significant essential role in the body. But Ephesians 4, we are here to build one another up and to encourage one another. Does it always work perfectly? No. What do we do when it doesn't work perfectly? We forgive one another and go on. That's what we do. There ought to be a lot of forgiveness, because I don't know about you, but I haven't met a perfect, completely mature believer yet. Now, to the second group of people, the people that are really this text is written about. So everybody's got the big idea why we're together, to encourage, to uplift, to support, to not shoot our own wounded. But now Paul's talking about an issue that could feel to us contrary to what the purpose of the church is. It could feel like now Paul's actually contradicting. What Jesus said is this is how you're going to know him by your love for one another. And here's what, what, what's important for us to see. We're going to take the action that Paul's encouraging here in 1 Corinthians 5. What's the motive? What's the emotion? Thank you. Oh, a pastor. Oh. Very nice. <laughs> I'm just encouraged that one of our pastors got it right. (laughs) Doesn't happen that often. The motive is love. To take action that many, including the person you're loving, sometimes others in the church, may interpret as not being loving. Back to the text. I wrote to you in my letter, a prior letter that we don't have in Scripture, not to associate with a sexually immoral people. And, and again, Jordan did a great job. If you didn't see that, that, you weren't part of that last week, I encourage you to go back and watch that message. Not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world or the greedy and the swindlers or idolatry, since then you would need to go out of the world. But now I'm writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears, look at his language here, bears the name of a brother. We can insert their sister. They're claiming they love Christ. Here's what Paul's suggesting by his verbiage. They claim to love Christ, but they're behaving in a way that is causing us to wonder whether or not they really love Christ. Our concern is rooted here. They're living in a way where we think they might not actually have a relationship with Christ and therefore be headed to hell. That's our concern. They're claiming to be a brother or a sister, but man, they're making choices that causes us legitimately to be concerned. Not at all meaning the sexually immoral, we're greedy of sinners, verse 11. But now I'm writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of a brother. And you see that if there? See the if? If he's guilty of this sexual immorality. That's what the text was exclusively about last week, because that's the problem they're having in the church at Corinth. Some guy sleeping likely with his stepmother. Remember, Paul pointed out the pagans even think this is wrong. Where are you guys going for pity's sakes? The non-Christians that don't love Christ wouldn't tolerate this, and you're boasting about it. There's a problem here. Paul's afraid that the person who's making those choices there's a chance they don't really love Christ. So the loving thing is not just to let them keep going. I want you to notice He's going to expand it now past sexual immorality. How many expressions of sin could we have that may appear to contradict that we really treasure Christ? They're limitless. So in this text now, he's going beyond the sexual immorality. He's including that, he's not bypassing it. That's the specific issue. But as he writes to these guys now, he doesn't want them just to think it's only sexual immorality that could, could be a sign that people don't love Christ. Notice his list. If he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed. Come on, quite frankly, come on, frankly, greed isn't that big a deal. I mean, sexual immorality. Who? Oh, but greed. What's the big deal with greed? Here's the problem with all these. Not trusting God. God's designed physical intimacy to be a gift. He's given parameters in which he intends that to be enjoyed. Not living within those parameters is suggesting to God, I don't trust you. Greed is, I know you promised to fulfill my needs, God, but have you seen my neighbor? If you really loved me, I would have what my neighbor has. It's not trusting God. An idolater. Now, in Corinth, they would have had had some other other deities that the folks around there were worshiping very practically. But, But again, just loving anything more than God. A reviler. Somebody who's just speaking ill of others. I tell you, some of the stuff I was reading online from so-called treasure, Christ treasures in this last year about all kinds of stuff, namely politics. People who are just speaking ill of others. But they actually hurt me. Sure. Sure. Paul saying, that's not how people who are filled with God's love deal with others. They don't talk about others like that. They just don't. It's not how they live. Drunkard. Now, I grew up with beverage alcohol was just not something Christians did. And I still remember I was in about ninth grade, and we were studying Jesus' first recorded miracle in Scripture. Not necessarily his first miracle, but the first one was recorded. Anybody know what it was? Water into wine, and I went, oh, man, that doesn't make sense to me. (laughs) I think there's all kinds of good reasons not to consume beverage alcohol alcoholism, number of people killed on the highways by drunk drivers, all kinds of good reasons. But I don't believe Jesus is opposed to it. But being drunk, being controlled by this alcohol. Paul says in Ephesians again, be filled with the Holy Spirit, not drunk with wine. It's it's about what controls us. For those of us that are new creations, new creatures in Christ, Jesus controls us. Now we're living in a world where we're tempted, but we are fighting the temptations. Do we always win? No. But we don't say sin is okay. That's what they're saying in Corinth. We're swindlers. Again, money, come on. Materialism isn't that big a deal. Materialism isn't as bad as sexual immorality. Everybody just knows it. putting stuff, money ahead of God is not trusting him. Trying to cheat people out of money. Not even to eat with such a one. Paul's trying to tell us, you're not loving people by endorsing behavior that may be an indication that they don't love Christ. You may call that grace. That's not actually grace. Again, you're dealing with people here that are unrepentant. We're going to talk about this a little more. Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? Now, notice that word judge, because I'm going to talk about that here in a second. Paul says we are to judge those people inside the church. Uh, God judges those outside. We're not to do the same thing with people outside. That's my third category of people. But purge the evil person from among you. Now, so again, notice this list. I'm going to go through it quickly. Sexual immorality, greedy, idolaters, revilers, drunkards, uh, uh, swindlers, Is that the whole list? No. (laughs) When somebody's manifesting a characteristic that doesn't fit with Christ and they're unwilling to repent, they're justifying it. Bad theology back in the day, Paul deals with it in Romans 6. And there have been folks who, I'm saved in Christ. I can go live however I want and be forgiven. No, Paul says. That's not how it looks. You have justifying faith. The Holy Spirit enters our life, and we get continually transformed more and more into the likeness of Christ. Sin has less and less appeal. Before we die and go immediate presence of God, will anyone ever not face temptation? No. Will anyone still not be tempted by sin? No. But we're here to help one another with that stuff. What Paul's talking about is somebody who's trying to be helped that says, I don't actually wanna be helped. I can love Christ and participate this that is unmistakably wrong. That's who he's talking about here. And you saw there, purge them out of your midst. So how do we do this? How do we love them? First is we associate with it, that's where it starts, because they start in the first group. Everybody painted, that makes sense to everybody? We're going to them, they love Christ as far as we know, and we get to know them, and then we're making an assessment. Now, Jesus said, do not judge. Everybody remember that? Same word as Paul tells us not to judge. Jesus tells us not to judge, Paul tells us to judge. I told you there was inconsistency in Scripture. Uh, That was facetious. Same word being used very differently. You notice I put up there, assess. We have verbiage a broader verbiage allowance, assess, appraise, evaluate. Didn't have that option back then with Koine Greek. So Paul's using judge in a different sense. And Jesus says, do not judge uh, or you too will be judged. Here's what Jesus meant. Don't get arrogant about evaluating other folks. Don't you start to play God when you're making evaluations. Don't you be self-righteous and feel better. Now, I have known some in the church that it felt like it was too easy for them to exercise church discipline, if you allow there. Does That make sense? It is felt sometimes to me coming from a place of self-righteousness. You got a problem there, but I've actually solved it. You should be as good as me. I don't know why you're not as good as me. I got this dialed in. That is what Jesus is forbidding. That is what he's saying. Don't you ever do that. And if there's anybody that ought to be humble, it ought to be those of us that realize the magnitude of our sin for which Jesus died. And I'm going to tell you, this arrogance and pride with which we still wrestle with in this life, it creeps in even to our faith. (laughs) Yep, I don't know if you know about so-and-so, it's despicable. Mm. But we gotta assess, and then we grieve. This is my deep conviction. If you got somebody you're concerned about right now, don't go to them and confront them, which is the next step, unless you actually grieve. For me, this is the sign that I'm not being arrogant. I got a brother or sister in Christ. They're making choices that don't fit with me with the gospel. He said last week in verse 2, ought you not rather to mourn. Some of you may guess I've had lots of conversations over the years. I don't go ever talk to somebody until my heart breaks for that person. I gotta grief. If so I'm not grieving, I'm afraid I might be guilty of doing what Jesus said not to do. Then we got to confront. Now I'm going to speak very broadly here, which is always unfair. Churches are notorious, in my estimation, for not doing this at all, or for doing it in very poor ways. I've known churches that, wanting to be faithful, this have made everything a public spectacle. Embarrassed. I know churches that have kicked out people who already left. Over the years, I've had lots of conversations. I tend to do that one-on-one. Lots of times, people turn. Sometimes they choose not to be a part of the fellowship. In my best estimation, it's not everybody's business. As you deal with folks, don't be talking with everybody. (laughs) Be careful about making these people a prayer request. Lord, forgive us for the time we use prayer as an opportunity to gossip. It's about loving people. but helping them understand. So I've had conversations with folks. Some of you may guess I tend to be direct. I try to be very gentle. But I've heard a few times, so you're saying I'm a non-Christian. Now here's where I go, who am I? I would never say that. I'm not God. But if I'm you, based upon the choices you're making... I'd be asking, do I really treasure Christ? I'm not God, but yeah. You're making choices that don't fit with my view of how a Christian would live. Confess, repent, and turn? Great! Keep going that road. (laughs) Think you're in a dangerous, dangerous position. And then disassociate. Disassociate if they're unrepentant, if they don't turn. Why? Oh, one more. Now let's not be surprised when our loving discipline is not received as such. I have four kids I adore and love. Julie and I actually disciplined them out of love particularly when they were young, well, let's say till they were about 27, did they understand the discipline was in love? They did not. Now, my grandkids, how much discipline do they get from me? None. I did that. I finished that. I am never going to do that again. Now, do I put my grandkids in a place where my kids have an opportunity to discipline them? They do. I, it's just, again, it's a whole, I'm, I'm not opposed to buying my grandkids love. I want you to understand, this is a whole different scenario than with my kids. But let's not be surprised when folks, or maybe sometimes other people in the church, don't see it as love. So why do we disassociate? For the good of the individual because they're dealing with something that they're not realizing the magnitude and the potential eternal consequences that are coming from their not repenting. I think many would say, well, wouldn't it be better to continue the relationship with them? Ideally, until they're just not seeing it, and we're trying to, to, to metaphorically shake them by the shirt collar and say, No! You may be headed for hell. You're on the edge of a cliff. And you're walking right over it. In love, we disassociate. And for the good of the church family, this is tough stuff. For the rest of the body, because a little love and. Leavens the whole lump. Now, we're going to go to the third category, which is referenced in this text, but not developed. Church people, we're here to love one another. When we got folks that are drifting, we're going to love them enough to have the tough conversations and potentially take the tough action. Folks, because we love them. Because we love them. Our hearts break. I've not had one of these conversations that my heart wasn't breaking through it. They're not easy. But those yet to treasure Christ, because I love what Paul says here. I wrote to you in my other letter, same subject, they're not figuring it out, so he's written the second letter, which we call 1 Corinthians, not to associate with the sexual immoral people, not at all meaning the sexual immoral of this world are the greedy and the swindlers or the idolaters, since then you would need to go out of the world. Come on, you got to laugh. If you disassociate from all people like this, outside of the church, you're going to have no friends. Because this is how they live, whether they recognize it or not. Where they're not focused on Christ, what else do they have? I mean, Paul says, if you don't love Christ, eat, drink, and be merry. Why would you have any constraints? I will just confess to you the life I live if I didn't love Christ. I mean a little dishonesty if it made me a prophet isn't that big a deal. Come on. Paul's saying here, don't apply the standards to those who don't treasure Christ. That those of us who do treasure Christ live with happily because we're here to help one another. But those guys that don't have Christ at the treasure of their life, at the center of their life. Now, I went here, and Paul deals with this, and I'm gonna develop this a little bit because I'm afraid out in the world, we Christians, it feels like to the world like we're fighting with them. And here's the challenge. We're going to talk about it in our summer series a little bit, but how do we lovingly stand for Jesus without fighting against those who don't treasure Christ and therefore have different value systems? You see where our culture is going? But it feels like to me, Christians, we're more known for fighting than we are for promoting Christ's love. Now, don't hear me saying that we we shouldn't stand. I think we need to stand lovingly. Part of the reason I put this third group in here, and we're going to talk about it more than Paul does in the text. Ideally, we'd love the world to see us as those who disagree in a lot of our value system, but they sense from us love, and that just doesn't feel like to me generally what's going on. We have seen those who are in bondage to Satan and captives of Satan. They actually, whether they realize it or not, are following him, and they need to be rescued, but we're treating them as though they're the enemy. The enemy is Satan. These are people that need to be rescued. Now, who's going to rescue them? Us. And it feels like to me sometimes it's we're more interested in winning a fight on an issue than showing Jesus. Are the issues important? Don't hear me diminishing the issues. But that they see the love of Christ. Not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world or the greedy and the swindlers or idolaters. Since then you would need to go out of the world. But now I'm writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or an idolater or reviler, drunkard or a swindler not even to eat with such a one. For what I have to do with judging outsiders. Paul's saying here, I don't do it. I don't expect those who don't treasure Christ to live by the value system with the morals of those who do. Don't do it. It's just not an expectation I break. This is for those who treasure Christ. Is it not those inside the church whom you are to evaluate, assess, or praise, and then take appropriate action? Never arrogantly. God judges those outside. That is to him. So, how do we deal with those who are yet to treasure Christ? We associate with them. Some of you guys have maybe said our, noticed our fourth distinctive around here is to be embedded in culture. It's hard to influence people if we don't actually know them. Call me crazy. Call me nuts. We got that word embedded from, in war times, the reporters that would go and embed themselves in the military and live with them to report. We got to live with these folks. I don't know if you've noticed. Have you guys noticed that most of the non-Christians you know live with a different value system than we do? If you haven't noticed, you need to spend more time with them. We got to be with them we got to spend time with you, hang them. I have non christian friends. I tell you, they are not a project in the negative sense. I love them. I love being with them. They are fun. They often come with fewer restraints than my Christian friends. Some of those I enjoy. Some of those are inappropriate. But I love hanging with my friends that don't love Christ. They're fun people. Got to assess where they're at. I think we're constantly assessing and we constantly should be assessing where people are at. If we're instruments of grace in their life, we want to meet them where they're at. We just don't want to dump all our stuff on them. How about we first find out where they're at and what their needs are and what they're thinking? I think most of you would be surprised when I'm with, particularly my my friends who are yet to believe, I am asking a gazillion questions, trying to understand where they are, how they view life. One of my favorite questions is this. So what brings you the most happiness? What lights you on fire? Now, if I know them well, I usually already have some sense. But yeah, I just want to know what, what are they pursuing in life? Now, we're not going to expect them to live like Christ's treasures. Do I need to say any more there? We're going to meet them where they are. And then we're going to grieve. I got non-Christian friends, friends who haven't yet treasured Christ that I love. I hope they come to treasure Christ before they die. I like these people, some of them I love. They haven't yet treasured Christ. So we keep associating with them. (laughs) I'll give you one small caveat. If they're participating in something that's ungodly and you're tempted through your association to slip into that, then you maybe really want to be careful. For me, I don't associate with people that are addicted to donut shops. (laughs) I just don't. Is I know if I go in there, I know what's going to happen. So, Paul, Jesus said, you're the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, now it can be made salty again. How can it be made salt again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. We gotta be there. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, you're let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your name in heaven. This same Paul, who's writing here, who doesn't develop, hanging with those who are yet to believe, writes in 2 Corinthians. Chapter 2 here, but thanks be to God who always leads us as captives in Christ's triumphal procession and uses us to spread the aroma of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are to God the pleasing aroma of Christ. Among those who are being saved, some of them are going to come to faith. And those who are perishing, some of them aren't. But we're the aroma to all of them with the hope that some of them will be saved. To the one we are an aroma that brings death, we're giving them the truth, but they're not choosing We're still giving it to them, to the other, an aroma that brings life. Almost nothing better than helping somebody see the life-transforming power of Christ. All that is good, and who is equal to such a task? Unlike so many, we do not peddle the word of God for profit. We're not here trying to make money. On the contrary, in Christ we speak before God with sincerity as those sent from God. 2 Corinthians 5. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, not just clergy, not just pastors, The new creation has come. The old has gone and the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself and through Christ gave us the mystery of reconciliation. Now to whom did he give the ministry of reconciliation? Every stinking one of us who treasures Christ. That's why we hang with people. Though they have very different value systems than us, this is why we hang with them. We're here to help them love Christ. That's why we spend time with them. Plus if they like golf, they're a lot of fun to be with. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against him, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. This is why we live in the world. As though God were making his appeal through us, and be careful with that language, he does mean God is making his appeal through us. We implore you in Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. That's the foundation of all we're doing. So here's what I, we, we leave here, and he, these are my final thoughts. Being filled with God's love is the way to be empowered to give it away. Every one of us can't give away what we haven't experienced that's why being part of the church family and life groups. We got a men's hike today. We got CBS here. We got MOPS. We got all, all these groups are to put people together to grow in their relationship with God. We love these. If you like to hike, go see Jordan. And you can go hike today and be with some guys. The encouragement that comes from being together. And we got lots of other ways. But that's why we do this, to be filled up. Let's be devoted to being loving in every context with everyone. Nowhere do we ever go where we shouldn't be sharing God's love with others. It's not what we do. It's who we are. We're going to stand for principles and values, but we're going to do that in love. Let's examine our own lives first. Remember Jesus said, uh, don't try and take the speck out of the brother's eye when you got a plank in your own. Let's start by trying to take the plank out of our own, or at least being with other friends that will help us take the plank out of our eyes. But some people read that and go, well, then I'm not supposed to take the speck out of my brother's eyes. No, we're still supposed to take the speck out of our brother's eyes. We just want to make sure, to the best of our ability, the plank is out of ours. This arrogance thing. We are prideful. We can be prideful about our faith. Christians ought to be the most humble people in the world. Deep convictions, but humble. And then let's let others into our lives. I think sometimes it's hard for people to let other people into their lives. What if they got to see this stuff I'm still wrestling with? Now, just let me tell you, there's nobody here that is not wrestling with the temptation to sin. Did everybody hear that? I've dealt with too many people to go, oh, Dad, you know what I'm wrestling with. Nobody will understand. I'm like, eh, no, I think they pretty well, butch well. Here's what we're doing. We're wrestling. It's the folks that aren't wrestling that we get concerned about. Everybody, 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 everybody is wrestling with sin. I do not go to donut shops. I find it very hard not to walk out with several donuts. Believe it or not, I'm wrestling. I'm fighting. I don't want food to have this control over me we got to let other people into our lives. And if you're afraid you got bad stuff in your life, I just presume you do, and I'm going to tell everybody else you do. But so do they. Join the club. That's the Christian community. And now let's be invested in getting to know others. Where we started. We'll deal with this a little bit more in 1 Corinthians 12. Wherever you are in your journey of faith you have something for others that will benefit them. Too many many times, I didn't mean that in a negative sense. Oftentimes, people just being vulnerable about where they're struggling encourages other people to be a little bit more vulnerable about where they're struggling. Let people in, then let's be invested. Let's take an interest in others. Let's have a healthy confidence that we actually can be of help to others, even if we treasured Christ yesterday. You started your faith journey yesterday, here's what I promise you. you got something to help the rest of us with. That's the way God designed this thing. Lord, you love us. You are so good to us. We're in this journey. Thanks for not putting us alone. Thank you for designing this community of faith. Again, Father, the challenge is it's filled with imperfect people like us. And yet you have this beautiful design and intent. May we listen to your spirit. May we be filled with your love. And may your love flow out of us to everyone in every context. That's our prayer.